Welcome to Professional Builder's latest podcast. I'm Lee Jones, editor of Professional Builder magazine. And in this episode, we'll be providing some advice and support to tradespeople on apprenticeships and training. You'll hear from Ruth Scarrett, Head of Careers at the NFRC, on how to train and keep apprentices. Estimates are that 2.2 million people in the UK work in the construction industry. However, the scary stat is one in five are 55 and over. But first, here's the news with Kirsty Adams. Thanks, Lee. Hello and welcome to this month's roundup of Professional Builder News. I'm Kirsty, part of the PB podcast team. And now for the headlines. The FMB reports a rebound in RMI building work. Gradient on how to stay safe in the sun this summer. And the new LCV market continues to bounce back. There's been a rebound in repair, maintenance and improvement building work for the first three months of this year. That's according to the latest State of Trade survey from the Federation of Master Builders. Workloads are reported to be up by 12% and reported inquiries up by 14% compared to Q4 2022. Brian Berry, Chief Executive of the FMB, says The rebound in domestic building work at the start of this year, compared with the pessimistic forecast towards the end of last year, is an encouraging sign that parts of the building industry are bouncing back. According to Gradient UK, construction workers are accountable for 44% of occupational skin cancer diagnoses. Tradespeople outside on sunnier days should try to shield their neck and ears with a cloth or a long piece of material, wear breathable long sleeve tops where possible and apply sun cream every two hours. Figures published by the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders show the UK new light commercial vehicle market recorded its fourth straight month of growth, with 22,665 new units registered in April. This was a 4.9% growth, regaining ground on pre-pandemic levels. The largest volume growth was recorded for vans weighing greater than 2 to 2.5 tonnes, which more than doubled to reach 4,318 registrations. The market's transition towards zero-emission vehicles also received a boost, with a 62.6% increase in battery electric vehicle uptake. And finally, some dates for your diary. Tool Fair is set to take place on the 14th and 15th of September 2023 in Coventry. Tickets are already available. Just visit www.tallfair.info or, if it's easier for you to get to Exeter, we'll be at West Point Exeter on the 27th and 28th of September. For all Tool Fair dates, visit www.tallfair.info. The link is in the show notes. And that's the latest news from Professional Builder. For more news, visit probuildermag.co.uk forward slash news. Okay, back to you, Lee. Now, Professional Builder's Edward Kelly provides some insightful facts and stats about apprenticeships and training. The English word apprentice is thought to have its roots in the old French word apprentice, coming from apprendre, 
meaning to learn. This in turn came from Latin variations of the word. This is why languages like French and Spanish use the words apprenti and apprendiz respectively. Apprentices themselves have a long history in the UK. They are thought to date back to around the 12th century when apprentices were contractually bound to their masters for four to nine years, beginning from ages between 10 to 15. Most of us know apprenticeships in the form of bricklaying, plumbing, carpentry, or as an electrician. Although some of these were also present historically, other popular apprenticeships included hatters, bakers, blacksmiths, and to a certain extent, even squires were an apprentice for their knights. As now, being an apprentice wasn't specifically a male thing, with women apprenticing as seamstresses, shoemakers, and tailors. Part of an apprentice being contractually bound to their teacher meant that apprentices would often live with their master craftsmen, who became guardians of sorts to them. Although apprentices receiving a wage for their work seems normal now, this wasn't always the case. In fact, prior to the 1700s, parents would have to pay masters a lump sum for them to take on their child as an apprentice. This framework changed, first with parents being able to pay this in instalments and the apprentice receiving a small wage to pay for clothes, to no fee paid to the master at all and the apprentice no longer being legally bound to their teacher. It has been characterised as a skills crisis, with too few new entrants into the industry, pushing up the average age of a construction worker and increasing labour costs for employers. The solution is to make the industry a more attractive choice for young people in particular, and for companies to train more staff. But many time-poor tradespeople complain that they find the process overly complicated. Here we talk to National Federation of Roofing Contractors Head of Careers, Ruth Scarrett, who offers some advice on taking on an apprentice. My remit is to support our members with anything related to their people. So the entire career cycle from entry all the way through to mid and then end of career. So hopefully today can get a little bit more insight into the challenges I support our members to overcome. So it's been characterised as a skills crisis, but can you give us an idea of the scale of the problem for the construction industry? Just to put it into some context, estimates are that 2.2 million people in the UK work in the construction industry. So that's a massive proportion of the population in the country. However, the scary stat is one in five are 55 and over. So as you can appreciate, that split of workforce is highly leaning towards the older workforce, which in principle is a great thing because you have lots of skills and experiences attached to those workers to support new people into the industry. The challenge is, though, is that there are just over, just under, sorry, 230,000 extra workers required according to the annual recruitment requirement targets. So as you can appreciate, we have far too many people leaving the industry and not enough entering the industry. So that's where the skills crisis comes into play, because unfortunately, people are retiring before they can pass their really helpful and valuable knowledge and experiences over to the next round of people. To give it a little bit of a deeper dive, if you like, in the roofing industry, we have an annual recruitment requirement of 690 people. So that doesn't sound like a lot, does it really, when it comes to it? You know, there's just under 700 people a year extra. How difficult is that? However, the last year, we only recruited 300 new apprentices 
And as we know, not all apprenticeships that start complete. So we are immediately more than half not recruiting as many people as we need from an annual recruitment basis. So that is a massive, massive problem. So what's the issue specifically for the roofing sector then? Is it a problem that uh, colleges are not, not just not putting on courses for roofers? There's a variety of issues and challenges, not just specific to the roofing industry, but some of them are specific. So for roofing, the uh, lack of training provision is a massive problem. Not all local colleges offer roofing apprenticeships. So immediately, if you're a local young person to that college, you potentially aren't seeing the opportunity in the roofing industry because it isn't a course that's available and employers in that local area are not being spoken to either because if you're a roofing contractor and you want to recruit an apprentice you've potentially got to consider sending an apprentice some in some cases over 200 miles away to get to a local training provider of that apprenticeship But more widely, though, the construction industry, we all know this, this isn't a new problem, that the industry has a bit of an image problem when it comes to having long and robust career opportunities. A lot of that is because television programmes that talk about rogue traders, etc. It's always cowboy builders that run off with a homeowner's money. That perception then feeds into the psyche of, as a parent, I therefore don't want my child to be involved in that type of career because it isn't stable, it's not done properly, and also it's potentially quite unsafe. What's also a challenge that I've had fed back to me from members is that young people's perception isn't just the issue. It's about the young person's perception of what they're able to achieve in the construction industry. We've all been there where if you were academic in school, in inverted commas, you were encouraged to go to university. And that was that that standpoint was a very long time of successive governments. So a whole generation were told in order to make something of yourself, you must go down a university pathway. If you were not academic in inverted commas, you were put in a classroom and pretty much told just behave yourself while you're here. And then we might introduce you to some construction related opportunities if you're a young man. And if you're a young woman, we will introduce you to nurseries or childcare options, hairdressing, beauty, all of those very traditional gender based roles from an academic attainment perspective. Unfortunately, we all know that not everybody functions well in school. So why would you assume that somebody's behaviour in a school environment is going to continue into a work environment? What I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter if you're an academic or not. You can find your place in the construction industry because it's so wide ranging and so different. And so there's opportunity there. You just need to know what you're looking for. So what we're doing in the roofing industry can translate to any sector. So Please, when I'm talking, please don't assume because you're not a roofer doesn't mean it doesn't apply to me. 100% any employer within the construction industry can get involved and hopefully learn something from what we're going to be talking about today. So what more can the industry do then to improve that image, to to promote all of the different opportunities that are in the construction industry? As you said, it's a huge industry. 
I'm appreciative that a lot of your listeners will be small businesses. So I'm going to assume that you do not have a massive HR or learning and development or any other department that supports you with any of this. I'm going to come at it from what can you achieve as a small business looking to grow your workforce through recruiting new people. So initially, it's about making a plan. Let's decide what you're going to do. And if it is about, I want to recruit a new person every two years and put them through an apprenticeship program. That's the ultimate aim. That's the goal. That's what you want to achieve. Reach out to organisations that can help you plan what that looks like. And I'm asking you to reach out for support because if there's a problem with something on my roof, I'm not going to assume I can fix it because I'm not an expert in that field. So I'm going to speak to an expert for fixing my roof. Know here that there is experts in the field of attracting and retaining and training people. That's what their expertise is. So reach out for that support and ask for it. The local training providers to you are very much full of that knowledge that they can support and help you to do that. What's also useful is that the benefit of training will overcome the issue of your time. What I mean to say is you have not got loads of time to do this so plan what you're going to do and then go through the steps that you need to do in order to achieve a successful outcome so put the time aside but use it wisely so by local training providers you're talking about small business owners contacting local colleges then effectively it's a, a liaison officer at a college or someone like that Absolutely. I appreciate that some training providers are better than others are directing you to the right person to give the right advice. So if you pick up the phone, usually you'll hit a, you know, a main reception switchboard. You don't need to explain in detail what you're looking for to that person because they're just going to want to put you through to the right department. So usually local training colleges will have a employer support team. That's who you need to speak to. Once you're speaking to the right people, they can then hold your hand through the whole process. In order to prepare for this, they will, regardless of which training provider you're speaking to, they will ask you to get ready three things. So it's helpful to get these three things ready before you start phoning training providers because they're going to ask you for it anyway. The first one is a good idea about what job the apprentice or new person will be doing. And that's using a very basic job template to write down it, who, what they're doing, what the pay is, what the hours will be, what type of company you are, all that stuff. Prepare your job description. So there is a very helpful template on our careers website. If you want to help yourself to that, feel free. Help yourself. Um, it's a downloadable Word document. You can put in all of the detail in there that you'd like to use. Having a job description ready. Having your insurance for employer liability ready and dug out because the training provider will ask you to provide that early doors. So make sure you've got that out and ready. The third one is having a think about having if you especially if you've not done this before or you've done it a while ago is to look at your approach to health and safety. The reason I say that is with an inexperienced worker the training provider will complete a health and safety visit. So why not start thinking about what type of thing you will need to be mindful of when it comes to health and safety? Again, there's guidance on how to 
complete health and safety risk assessments, for example, on the HSE website. So it's all there ready for you. But if you have it as a thought process, it doesn't have to be a massive adjustment to anything you've already got, but just look at it through the lens of an inexperienced worker and what risks you'd need to manage for that person. Once you've got those three things ready, you will be able to smoothly work with your training provider to advertise your vacancy get interested candidates in front of you for interview and get them started because you've already done a lot of the legwork for them already. One of the common complaints for for tradespeople at the very smaller end of of the industry is that the process for accessing grants and whatever help might be available is actually quite complicated. I mean, is there any advice there as to how you can can navigate them towards the the help and assistance that that exists? Absolutely. So, 100% appreciate that the government do not make it as straightforward as they could do for accessing all of the support and advice you need for apprenticeships and that's because a lot of the the assumption is that there will be somebody who knows about this already and can kind of navigate themselves through whereas from a construction perspective you potentially have, say, an operations manager that does everything, that wears the HR hat, the finance hat, the counselling hat, the everything hat. So that person will need as much support as they can. So firstly, lean on your training provider. If they offer construction-related training and apprenticeships, they are used to helping you navigate through this. So 100% lean on them. But also... I'm pleased to say that the CITB have recently launched their new entrant team, which is a CITB person who specifically talks you through all of the grants, all of the recruitment piece and all of the training requirements of apprentices. And that new entrant team person will be able to link you up with what grants are available, how to access them. And even in some cases, support you with the application itself, because they want to see you succeed as much as yourselves do. What I'd also say is as well is ask your federation, ask your trade association for support and help. People like me are in each trade association. And if not as a tailored job role like mine is, there will be experts in the, that trade association that will support and help you through it as well. So there's a variety of people wanting to help you with doing what you want to achieve when it comes to training your people. Another problem, another issue that's often raised is that people will say that, well, I'm going to train an apprentice, but then they're just going to leave. I mean, what what can employers be doing to try and retain the staff they've got? I have had that objection quite a few times from some members of ours, and I appreciate that. My challenge back is always, if you don't train, they will leave on the promise of training elsewhere. As as we all know, some point in our careers, we've chosen to move into a different role with a different organisation because the offer is better. So I would say as part of your job description development, which I talked about earlier, is including there what the salary is so let's be open about what your salary is so let's stop using competitive salary please let's be honest about what we're offering but also what are the benefits of working for your organization and make it super clear at advert what you're offering somebody if you're a small established family business say that that gives people confidence that you will treat your staff properly because you're a family-run organisation. So you want to treat your staff like they are part of your working family. What's also good to be mindful of is that treating people properly whilst they're in work 
is a large part of what makes people happy in, in life. If you're unhappy in work, it's difficult to be happy in other parts of your life, isn't it? We all know what that feels like being in a job we don't like being in. So before any new starter starts, if you know that potentially it's a little bit on the line sometimes when it comes to banter on site, or it is a little bit of a a unique environment where individuals have worked together for a very long time so it could feel a bit clicky for a new person to come in sit down with your team and set your expectations as the employer i expect you to treat the apprentice as we do other people i.e treat your apprentice how you would want your son or daughter to be treated in the workplace and you can't go far wrong with that type of approach to make sure that you're not modly coddling them you're not treating them with kid gloves, but you're making sure you're treating them with fairness and, and respect. There is some really helpful training on fairness and inclusion and respect on the CITB website. So more than happy to highlight where they are, but ultimately sitting down with your team and explaining your expectations and how to be treated. And also when they've started with you, a brand new person, this is brand new to them. So sit, have a scheduled sit down with them it doesn't have to be dead formal in the work van over a brew every so often ideally at regular intervals just to check in on how your new person's getting on is there anything that's they're finding difficult that you can help them to overcome and it doesn't have to be as i say really formal but it just shows that you want to know how they're getting on you want to know how their welfare is and you want to know any issues that they're facing because then you're more likely to overcome them together and be able to retain that employee. If they aren't given the opportunity to talk to you about what they're finding difficult, as well as where they're, they're really enjoying it and really getting involved and, and having a good time with it, they potentially will resign and you will not know why, apart from a culmination of things potentially that they share with you. Some individuals won't even share that. So you'll always be in the perpetual cycle of recruitment, settle them in, they resign. And then you start the whole process all over again. So just checking in to see how they're getting on. Lastly, again, as part of a membership for the NFRC, you can access an employee assistance helpline, which supports with things like HR and legal issues. So again, if you're a member of a trade association, look and see if you are able to access that HR support because they'll then help you make sure that the apprentice beds in and any potential challenges with that apprentice, you get appropriate HR advice to overcome them together as well. You, you've touched upon this a little bit already, but can you outline some of the benefits of training and taking on apprentices for employers specifically? You are running a small business and without investing in your own, growing your own, you're always going to be reliant on recruiting from other people. And that's a lot more challenging than trying to shape that person to how you want them to be, whether it's behaviour, technical skill, competency, whatever it is, you've had that ownership to be able to do that. So definitely recruiting your own is easier in the long run than it is trying to recruit fully qualified, fully experienced people that demonstrate the behaviours you want them to have. But also developing people developing themselves that gives a sense of real confidence and motivation for the individual so they are less likely to create problems with 
level of workmanship or competency because you've trained them properly and you make sure that they're trained properly. Lastly, it's been proven that apprentices do stay with their employers longer than just regular run-of-the-mill people. And that's because you've made that investment of time and training for that person. So why wouldn't they stay? If you're in an apprenticeship for, say, two to three years and you've had a good experience, why wouldn't you stay with that employer that gave you that opportunity rather than doing an apprenticeship and then at the end saying, that's it, thank you, I'll get off and go to a different employer now, thank you very much. That's very unlikely to happen comparatively to... I gave somebody a labourer job. They worked with me for a couple of years and then somebody down the road offered them 50p more an hour, so they moved. It's as simple as that. You've already outlined a lot of the resources that are available from the NFRC, but what else is is your trade association doing to, to help the industry then? So firstly, it's about speaking to departments in government that influence educational policy. So Department for Education is very much banging the drum. I feel like I'm a little bit of a parrot sometimes in these meetings where I keep saying, yes, but what about how you're supporting the industry, especially from an SME perspective? A lot of the guidance seems to be very much focused on, you know, larger organisations that have infrastructure that can support recruiting and training people. So very much banging the drum there, but also, more importantly, giving resources that are completely free to access. So, Again, it doesn't matter if you're roofing or not. The NFRC careers website gives you, for example, a to-do list to recruit and retain staff effectively. So it it walks you through exactly what you have to do and what order you need to do it in with the templates and resources that are available to it. I can also tell you that the CITB it is a, a, it is a little bit more challenging, but there is lots of information and resources on the CITB website, plus... The Department for Education supports the Institute of Apprenticeships website. So the Institute of Apprenticeships website gives you details on all apprenticeships available in occupational area. So you can go into construction and then look at what level the role is and it will map over to the relevant apprenticeship. But please don't feel like you have to sit and do hours and hours of desktop research Get a flavour for the job you want to recruit and ideally which apprenticeship that links to and then start reaching out for the support for the organisations that will be able to walk you through the rest of the process. So well, what, in, in, in your view, does, does government need to do then to, to help SMEs take on apprentices and, in, and increase the level of new entrants? Then? So I think it's not just about recruitment, it's about retention and it's about educating employers to retain people. Because it's it's getting easier to recruit, but it's about retaining them. So government support to recruit and retain apprentices will be useful. But also, let's take the support for SMEs back to basics. Let's not assume people know a little bit or a lot about what to do. Let's give them really straightforward. This is a to-do list. This is what you need to do in what order. This is what resources are available to support and help you to do that. And give an an employer ownership of the process so they know what they need to do. Because at the minute, it still feels very much like you should know how to do this bit already. So let's assume back to basics, everybody needs guidance and support on how to do all of it rather than assuming a little bit of awareness and knowledge. Lastly, I think the government should continue to support the growth of the shared apprenticeship scheme. 
So what the shared apprenticeship scheme is, is in a nutshell, is if an employer is nervous about offering an apprenticeship for a two, three year duration, whatever the length of the apprenticeship is, the shared apprenticeship scheme is where you can, for a period of six months, ideally, have an apprentice working for your business. You can then see how the apprentice gets on. They're doing the apprenticeship that's relevant to the job. So, for example, if it's roofing, they're doing the roofing apprenticeship, but you aren't committing to employing them for the full duration of the two year apprenticeship. You're taking them on on a six month placement. Obviously, you're paying the wages, etc. But it gives you the confidence then to at least feel like, oh, okay, an apprentice can work in my business, can settle in, can do the work. My team can support and help them and show them what they need to do on site. You can then, through the shared apprenticeship scheme, keep that apprenticeship for longer if you want to. Or six months later, do you know what? Business is taking a downturn for us. We're not sure if we've got enough work for the apprentice to do. That apprentice can go on to work with a different employer, continuing their learning and apprenticeship and staying in the industry. But you've been able to help them with that journey. So I would 100% suggest that the government continue to support the apprenticeship scheme. So there you have it. Taking on an apprentice is easier than you think. It's a rewarding experience and can have real business benefits. The NFRC Roofing Careers Service is an invaluable resource for both apprentices and employers. To find out more, visit nfrc.co.uk forward slash careers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Professional Builders Podcast. If you've got a story to tell, or want to get involved in our podcasts, email me at ljones at Make sure you pick up the latest issue of Professional Builder Magazine, available from the trade counters of over 2,500 builders merchant outlets nationwide. You can also visit probuildermag.co.uk to access digital flickbook versions of the current and previous print editions of Professional Builder, and sign up to receive every issue via email. The Professional Builder website is also packed with products, ideas, advice, and support for tradespeople. Again, Visit probuildermag.co.uk to find out more. That's probuildermag.co.uk. Thank you for listening.